Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today Jack Driscoll is joining us via phone from Mystic, Connecticut. Jack, welcome to Living Writers. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, thanks for being game for some um, conversation about your your latest collection of short stories, 20 stories, Uh this out in 2022, published by Pushcart Press. Um, I, I love the cover, Jack. Um, to describe it for uh, listeners, it's it's telling you what you're going to get. 20 stories by Jack Driscoll, <laughs> new and selected. Yeah, I actually had a title for it, but I was talked out of the title in favor of this. So oh. I, I, def- I deferred to better judgment, I guess. So, yeah. That's what it is. Uh, Twenty stories, new and selected. And and why why what was the title? What were you going for? Uh, the title was um, the title was uh, the New World Merging. It's a title oh. of one of the stories. Yeah. And you know, I thought that had a, a certain ring, but um, one of the new stories. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never not titled a book, and I'm not exactly sure, but um, uh, I think maybe the marketing people were um, had a lot to, more than a little to do with this. So, well, I love it, Jack. That's why I was Thank commenting you. on it. So, but um, yeah. but you know what? I I also like the new world merging. So maybe I'm I'm an easy audience with that. Um, but thanks again. Good. We need we need that. We need that. D. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, I'm so glad to have this opportunity to talk with you about your mm-hmm. fa- fantastic short stories and about the form. Um, and maybe if you want to talk a little bit about po- poetry as well, um, mm-hmm. the, the sky's the limit. Thanks for choosing the songs for today's program. Um, do you want to say anything about the leadoff song, Jack? <laughs> It's an oldie, and uh, and uh, it's a song. This is a cover, and I think I, 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 it'd be a wild guess if I tried to remember um, who who, was, who sang it originally. Um, I just, you know, I, when we're talking about songs, we're talking about music, and it's how I think about uh, writing. And I've always said that the impulse to, uh, to, to, to write comes from the impulse to love, uh, story, character, and for me particularly, language. And uh, I have no trouble thinking about words as notes and uh, uh, sentences as a unit um, where where words happen that can either be cared about or not. And if I um, if there's no tunefulness to it, if I'm reading what what I refer to as a duff-eared prose, um, I've lost interest. Immediately, so yeah, music has a um, is a big part of my writing. And when you're when you're talking about the music within the prose, is this even present for you, Jack? When you're in the the drafting 
stage when you're you're generating ideas as a story is starting to come to you um is it is it that intense early on or is it something that is you're kind of returning to like the line and the music mm-hmm. within the interconnected lines later on in revision yeah um good question um Paul William Matthews says, revision isn't cleaning up after the party. Revision is the party. And the truth is, if writers were known by their early drafts, literature as we know it would cease to exist. And process is process. And a friend of mine, writer by the name of Mike Delt, um, claims me as the slowest writer in the in the history of the world. That's what I was and wondering. <laughs> he, well, he How slow are you? Hyperbole. And... Um, and um, yeah, his, his metaphor is, is uh, uh, Jack's the slowest writer I know. He moves at the pace of an ice age, and it's true. Um, <laughs> he's, if, if I were to refer to him as um, as a type, he would be a banger. He's one of those people who just you know he gets he hits the keyboard as fast as he can, and then he looks back at what he has. But I don't move that way. Um, my process is antithetical to that. Um, I always say that process can't be prescriptive because it can't. We'll all get to the end of our stories in the quirky ways we do. And <laughs> no, I don't hear it all, uh, T, um, as I'm um, as, as I'm inscribing. Uh, and, and clearly, um, uh, the revision process uh, helps with that. But I won't move past uh, the first sentence or the second sentence or wherever I am in the story um, unless. I'm 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 fairly happy with uh, the sentence that proceeds because the sentence um, that I've just written makes possible what's going to happen next and the sentence after that and that's the way I move and and I do I think it was Robert Frost who advised writers to or readers to read with a listening ear and I write with a listening ear so yeah I mean right out of the gate I am. Um, looking for, uh, since you brought up um, poetry, which was the first genre um, I started writing in, um, it's um, it's that uh, lyric sense that um, that propels me forward. So, yeah, I have to hear something. I, if it's clunking for me and I can hear it, I'm not ready to move on to that next sentence. Mm, yes. Um Jack, before we get any further, because I was just going to ask you about three questions there <laughs> after that. But um, you know what? I'm going to read your bio um, so that so that we do this time-honored tradition uh, before moving forward. Uh, Jack Driscoll is a two-time NEA Creative Writing Fellowship recipient, a Penn Nelson Algren Award winner, and the author of 12 books, including the story collections Wanting Only to Be Heard winner of the AWP Grace Paley Short Fiction Prize, and The World of a Few Minutes Ago, winner of the Society of Midland Authors Award and Michigan Notable Book Award. His most recent story collection, um, well, and now this this one that we have with us, but his most recent story collection, The Goatfish and the Lover's Knot, received a Michigan Notable Book Award and was a finalist for the John D. Gardner Short Fiction Prize. His stories have appeared in the Georgia Review, the Southern Review, Plowshares, Missouri Review, Michigan Quarterly Review, the Pushcart Prize, 
anthology. Um, that's key. And new stories from the Midwest. Driscoll was the founding father of the Interlochen Center for the Arts Creative Writing Department and teaches in Pacific University's low residency MFA program. He resides in Mystic, Connecticut, where he joins us via phone. Hey, are you, are you, um, cause I think you were, um, just a couple months ago, you were in Seattle, um, at PU, uh, for the MFA program. Is, is that right, Jack? I was, uh, I was in Oregon. I was in, um, uh, a little town called Seaside, uh, oh. on the Oregon coast. Oh, is that where Pacific University's low residency MFA program is? Yeah. It's, oh, it's, sorry. Um, okay. Yeah, no, no. We're, we're, there are two different sites. Um, neither is in Seattle, but um, one is on campus, which is in um, Forest Grove, Oregon. And then the winter residency, the one I like uh, better because of the beaches and the mountains, um, uh, is in Seaside, Oregon. Oh, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. I've had a chance to um, drive along the coast there, and it's really something. Mm-hmm. Um, and good mm-hmm. good cheese, too, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And pro- probably good fishing, because fishing is a, a big part of um, what I feel like I know about you, Jack, from some photographs. And, um, yeah, is that... Mm-hmm. How, how is fishing like, <laughs> like writing for you? Um, I don't know that it is uh, like writing, except it's... Um, um, it's quiet when I'm on the river. I'm not talking. I'm usually fishing alone. Even if I've gone fishing with somebody, we're not standing shoulder to shoulder. You know, we're moving up and, and down the river. And um, it's um, it's writing is a it, writing is a passion, of course. And the definition of passion is to suffer. And we we only suffer this. We only suffer this uh, passion in about a thousand different ways. And uh, from one of the photographs, I'm thinking, <laughs> although I'm not sure, that my <laughs> that my my good friend, a longtime great friend, uh, Pete Fromm, sent you of a giant ant fly um, stuck in my face. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I'd be there. We suffer that passion too, but it uh, it, it truly is one of the things I um, I. I love most in the world. I love doing most in the world. It's, it's fly fishing. Fly fishing. Right, writing and, and fly writing. fishing. And writing. Yeah, right. Because yeah, right, right. it's, yeah. like, it's not the living fly fishing show, so I'm going to just like <laughs> double check yeah. with you. Although that could be, I mean, that's an idea waiting to happen, right? So that could be a yeah. new, new podcast. Or there's one out there, I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah, I could demonstrate how to power cast into the wind so that the hook comes back oh. and gets me right in the cheek. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, oh, I'll put that one on the Instagram <laughs> okay. so everyone can well, see. I mean, you're smiling in the photo, too, so it's kind of... Yeah, well, it was a little after the fact. You know, we were on our way to see if we could get... Well, we were on our way to the hospital to see if we could get it taken out. Um, 
and I won't, um, it would take too long to tell me the story about how it happened um, without any medical attention. Right, um, right, right. Well, 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 anyway, it's, it connects to the first, actually, the, the lead story that you have in 20 Stories by, mm-hmm. uh, um, from uh, Wanting Only to Be Heard, uh, not, not fly fishing, but ice fishing, which seems right. like maybe something that you were doing in Michigan while you were living mm-hmm. the years you lived here. Uh, yeah, it certainly is not fly fishing. Um, the artistry of fly fishing um, is like um, is not unlike the discipline of writing. It takes a long time uh, to be able to finesse something like that. And as you can see in the photograph, I hadn't entirely finessed that cast. <laughs> but but um, yeah, ice fishing is a wholly other world and a, a different culture. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking people who fly fish uh, probably don't ice fish uh, all the time. Okay. Um, I, I don't, but friends of mine, um, local fellows, would invite me out to their shanties. And uh, so I, I, I have experienced that, and it's sort of fun just sitting out there. Um, there's a heater in the shanty because it's awfully cold. And, uh, you know, it's a kind of camarad- camaraderie that, that sets in, and, you know, you start talking and whatnot, and I love just, you know, hanging out with these guys, and they would invite me, so I'd go. And, um, but, um, I mean, you know, it, it defines, really, uh, where I've been living for almost half a century. Uh, and um, if you like to ice, fi- ice fish, good for you, because you're going to have a long time to do it. We have a number of standing jokes such as um, July and August, oh, yeah, two months of, ba- of lousy sledding. That's one. <laughs> and, uh, or we have, uh, uh, we have um, uh, three seasons in northern Michigan, July, August, and winter. So, yeah, um, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a culture that um, sort of loves to go out and drink some beer, and sometimes they even... Um, are decorated up with furniture so you can get comfortable out there, you know, a couch, and you stare into a hole and, you know, wait for this little rubber band bobber to go down and you pull up a smelt, if that happens to be what you're fishing for, uh, ice fishing for, uh, which is mostly what I did. And, and it feels like the, the world then that you're creating for the story, wanting only to be heard, is, is very, um, like a very, a young male world um there are older uh, men that are are um kind of around the edges of of right. the story um but there's an intensity to the place and an ominous quality that um is in the story that's not really in the the telling of ice fishing itself obviously but it occurred mm-hmm. to you to have this like something that feels very um Gosh, you can't say it's a rite of passage because it's there's nothing on the other side for one of the characters in the story, but it feels like a very young man uh, experience. Um, yeah, and and idea. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, this is um, this. It's it's a bad case of winter time, and. Um, I've always said that the most fatiguing enterprise that I've ever experienced is boredom. And in a climate like this, uh, and, and especially um, for kids, 
it's a, um, a, a kind of inertia, and um, and they're bored silly, and so they take they take dramatic action uh, against it. And uh, in the story, of course, um, they um, it ended it ends uh, tragically. It ends with a drowning when the when the kids decide that uh, they can pull a Houdini stunt, and uh, as Houdini uh, took his dive under the um, the Detroit River, claiming he was following the voice of his dead mother, um, and then finally came up and he survived it. And so they do their homework, and they think, okay, we can do this too. Maybe we can even become legendary. Uh, certainly, um, you know, uh, we're going to get some attention for this when we pull it off. And they talk themselves into believing that they can. And that's when it all goes badly. But it's um, it's the climate itself that creates that story, and um, which is why I believe that you know that places everything. Um, uh, Ortega, uh, Jose Ortega E. Cassatt says, tell me the place in which you live and I will tell you who you are. Uh, place forms character and this is what these kids are, are suffering and, um, and, and, try, and taking measures against it. Jack, let's take a short break and then we'll be back. Um, to hear more. And we'll pick up here with this story. We won't move away from it. Uh, Today on Living Writers, Jack Driscoll joins us via phone from Mystic, Connecticut. The book on the table, 20 stories, new and selected. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got Frank behind the glass. We'll be back. just tuning in. I'm so glad you did. You've got living writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. And today, Jack Driscoll is here via phone, um, joining us from Mystic, Connecticut. Um, Jack, thanks again for picking the songs um, for today. Um, yeah, you're welcome. The, so, so this last one is, it feels like it's creating place it's unfolding within the music and atmosphere of that song, doesn't it? Or does yeah. it for you? I guess I yeah. should no, say. No, it does. No, it does. And I absolutely love Leonard Cohen, and I love that song. He's such a storyteller. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been following uh, Leonard Cohen's work since the um, first time I heard, I can't remember what, what song it was, but I thought, oh, my God. 
Well, oh, um, and when you said it's one of your favorite songs, Jack. Yeah. What? Yeah. Did, why? Well, just the intensity of the song. Mm. I think you mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, place um, in connection with the song. Yes. What were you thinking? What I was thinking is more <clears throat> of the atmosphere that it feels like when you're coming into the mm, the layers of the instruments and then his voice, there's like a depth there and this feeling that feels like it matches quite well um, with sort of our conversation so far. What, what about you? But why is it your favorite? <laughs> or one of your favorites? Yeah. Uh, well, I felt like a uh, disc jockey um, when he asked me to do this to put him together and uh, I'd actually have to look at the lyrics it's been you know I, I said okay I need a Leonard Cohen song which one and and I just went with it mm. um, yeah. but yeah it's the it's it's the delivery uh, as much as the, the lyrics for me that his voice for one but the intensity of the language and um <clears throat> I um, there's a there's a writer by the name of um, David Roderick. He's not talking about music per se, but he is talking about language. And he says it's not the tale um, that pleases; it's the telling. Um, in other words, I'm stirred by um, what T.S. Eliot calls the uh, auditory imagination. In other words, the ability uh, to hear um, uh, makes possible uh, a clarity for the eye, um, and um, I think the eye reports um, to the brain, but the ear reports to the heart, and I think that's the thing that uh, musicians can do that <clears throat> that writers maybe can't ever quite, and then, um, you know, I read, I read, uh, I read songs, um, or I read um, uh, stories, particularly stories more so than novels. Uh, whereby I think, okay, uh, maybe that is just what, that's exactly what just happened, or at least it happened to me as a reader. Yes, definitely. Um, well, I love, I love that you said auditory imagination. That, that is wonderful. Um, and, and the intensity present in the song, it, it makes me think of the intensity present in the short story form. Um, mm-hmm. Why? Why is this a form that that you've been drawn to, Jack? Yeah. Um, well, again, I'm going to circle back. Uh, I started. I started uh, writing poems. Um, when I started writing, I started writing poems, and I did that without ever trying prose for probably 30 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, interlocking gave me a sabbatical, and I promised myself if I completed a, a manuscript of poetry of poems I was working on um, I would try fiction uh, for the first time ever and I and I and I did have the time and I and I did uh, start writing um, short fiction and did you and love it sure. did you did it what did I, it I, I, what I was did. what did it allow like how was it a different like what did it allow you to do as a writer or to try that wasn't mm-hmm. part of the finishing the poetry manuscript? Mm-hmm. Um, 
But what I can do, what I find I can do in a short story is unsustainable. Uh, novel length, I've written four novels as well. And, um, I mean, if you read, like, uh, Hopkins, uh, The Wreck of the Deutschland, for example, um, you, you have that f- the feeling that if he had gone on any longer with that, um, you know, would have burned out like a comet or something. And writers who come to mind who have uh, found a place for poetry in the prose, um, and it's what I try to do. I, I'm always looking for poetry's place in the prose. And writers who come to mind, some, by the way, who have never written novels, for example, Lee K. Abbott, um, Stuart Dybeck, um, those two, I'm pretty sure, um, other writers who, other, other fictionists, prosers, um, who write both novels and short stories, uh, whose work I really love because um, it is so... Um, the uh, the intrigue of the language itself is 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 um, is present for me and and one writer comes to mind is the Australian writer Kate Kennedy, Elizabeth McCracken, Anthony Doerr, um, James Baldwin, Toni Morrison, um, and and particularly Joan Didion, uh, who uh, Frank Brunei in the New York Times Book Review wrote a uh, a really interesting essay about claiming that. It might have been the result of um, a short, a, a short attention span, um, but what he was really saying is that sometimes he likes individual sentences, as do I, um, more than entire books. And when I read those, uh, when, and I'm not necessarily reading aloud. I'm lifting the, I'm lifting the print from the, lifting the sentences from the page with my eye. But I'm hearing it. I'm listening. And these are the writers who, um, whose work I tend to like best. Uh, in other words, even a good plot can't compensate for me um, a language that I, I already referenced as, as uh, tineered. Um, mm, yes. A, a, pro, a language without any residence, it just won't do it for me. I know what you mean, Jack, about... Um having these moments with books like for example when when i was listening to you, you talk about these writers and their their work like, that has meant a lot to you like they're like your writing family in some ways it sounds mm-hmm. like um i i think of toni morrison and her her novel, novel Beloved, I can remember yeah. reading it as such like a, a young person just graduated from university and it's graduation mm-hmm. time here on campus. So maybe mm-hmm. that's why. And just having to write down, wanting to write down so many yeah. of her lines. Mm-hmm. And, and I was working in at one point a very dull, um, you know, cubicle job in L.A. And I just... Um, Luckily, I did have some time where I could kind of read if the phone wasn't ringing until they realized they could give me more to do. But I had just the whole place, Jack, with these quotes from Beloved. Just the singing of the words, the power, the power Mm -hmm. in the words. Um, Exactly. So let's talk about like this intensity that's in your short stories and and that because because a short story, it's it's. I love how you're talking about the lyric qualities within the lines, but often it's also 
um, like wound tight. It's like they're intense experiences. Yeah. It's 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 hard to like keep reading short stories. You have to kind of I think take a break before you enter another world of a short story, and that's certainly the case with your twenty stories, Jack. Um, is there is there a part of one that you would read to us so we like everyone gets a chance to hear some of the prose read by you? Yeah, for sure. Um, and yes, I agree with you about the what I call the white light or white fire uh, of the short story. And that's what I meant when I said earlier that kind of that kind of intensity is unsustainable um, novel length. Uh, I, I just. Um, yes. I don't. I, I, just, I simply don't. Don't think it can be sustained that way. Um, and if I don't forget to say it, there are a few other things that the um, that the short story does, or at least for me, that also I don't feel is possible uh, in the novel. They're really two very different um, mediums. Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna read. Um, I'll read just a, a couple of paragraphs, just the opening um, of a story I haven't yet read. It's a new, one of the new stories. Oh, great! And I, and I was thinking I might read it in um, uh, in June when I head out to Oregon again for the uh, for the summer residency. Um, it's called Gracie and Devere, and it's it's a story I was happy to have written because uh, I mean I'm always looking to break through to the next place where I haven't yet arrived. Um, otherwise, it's just too easy to start sounding like yourself, a kind of self-imitation, and that's the one thing I don't want to do. And um, the reason I was happy with this story is because it actually has multiple points of view. I think there are four points of view in here. Um, but this is, this is here's the opening. It's called Gracie and Devere. The twins' combined age is 20, two years older than their mom when she had them born healthy on New Year's a few minutes after midnight. Small-town celebrity babies, they'll strike the birth father sticking around for the local newspa uh, newspaper photographers and ducking out instead into the hospital parking lot for a cigarette and s some cold air to clear his head. Excuse me for just a minute. I'm going to put my glasses on. Oh, I'm yeah. pretty much do. I'm pretty much doing this from memory. Oh, jeez, okay. no. Yeah. Okay, here we here we go. Um, um, except for the bell-shaped birthmark high up on Devere's left thigh, the girls are identical. Their wobbly, bow-legged first steps having occurred almost simultaneously. Ditto their discernible first spoken words bye-bye, and how they waved to him. They're about to be absentee daddy who on, the mor on that morning did not, as he'd promised, go outside only long enough to install his daughter's safety seats in the decade-old high-mileage family Ford Falcon. He backed it slowly out of the driveway instead and cranked up the radio and hightailed it for parts unknown. Currently, the safety seats hang side by side from the garage rafters like tiny abandoned swings. And seemingly out of nowhere and absent any encouragement from anyone, the twins have long since ceased straddling the heat register after taking their baths. Big girls now, who used to laugh and Lindy like showgirls as their nightgowns filled and lifted. Thank you, Jim. That's the opening section of the, of the story. Yeah, and was that where did you write that one out in in Oregon at? the residency that you're looking forward to returning to? 
or where, how did this story start for you? Um, well, I am a twin. <laughs> oh, I do know. For, for one, an, ident- an identical twin, and I'm sure some, I'm, I'm sure some of that um, factored in. Um, I, I, I don't, when I get started on a story, uh, I mean, it may sound as if because I'm a twin, I wrote the story that just happened to, um, that just happened to be, I really have no idea. I never sit down and think, okay, I'm going to write a story about this. I'm going to write a story about twins. Um, I just, um, I always believed when I was writing poems, if I could get a, a, a line that interested me, I could get that poem without having any idea where that poem was headed. Mm-hmm. And and this holds true for um, for fiction as well. Uh, I am so comfortable, I am most comfortable and so comfortable in the presence of not knowing yes, and just dis- and discovering what it is I have to say when, when I begin to inscribe. Um, it's what Stephen Dunn refers to as those unconscious informing elements. And, um, so I really have no idea, uh, where any of this is headed. Um, so I don't know really where it came except, um, uh, I came up with the first sentence, the twins combined age is 20. And I thought, okay, where do we go from here? And the story came together. That's, and that's what I was going to ask you. Was the first sentence literally what we got to hear that came to you? It becomes mm-hmm. the first. Is that, is that sort of your process, too, for some of the other stories? In 20 stories, is the first sentence what comes to you and then the rest follows? Like you were explaining to us earlier, almost like the first and then the next. It's very um, important that each is building on the mm-hmm. other. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is like uh, uh, machete-whacking through the tangle of language um, for direction into the light, and and that's what I do. I mean, you know, I whack and whack and open it up a little bit, and the trail goes forward very slowly. And if I'm lucky, uh, it leads me to the light. And that's how I get to the end of the stories. That's the, that's the entire process, and I work. I follow hunches. I follow uh, intimations, and I worry a lot. That's pretty much how I do it. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a short break, and we'll come back to talk mm-hmm. about some of the worry um, today on Living okay. Writers. Jack Driscoll mm-hmm. joins us via phone from Mystic, Connecticut. Um, the book on the table with us: twenty stories, new and selected. I'm T Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. We'll be back. Cause I'm being followed by a moon shadow Moon shadow, moon shadow Leaping and hopping on a moon shadow Moon shadow, moon shadow And if I ever lose my hands Lose my plow, lose my land Oh, if I ever lose my hands Away. I won't have to work no more And if I ever lose my eyes If my colors all run dry Yes, if I ever lose my eyes Away. I won't have to cry no more Yes, I'm being followed by a moon shadow Moon shadow, moon shadow 
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, glad you did. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Jack Driscoll is on the line with us. Um, the book on the table, 20 Stories by Jack Driscoll, new and selected um, out with Pushcart Press. Um, <laughs> before before we were um, taping Jack, we were we were you were joking about possibly singing along to the songs. Um, <laughs> and I want you to know, had we been here in person, you would have seen that I started singing along, and then I was like, "Ooh, I better move away from the mic just in case it's still live." <laughs> Were you? I wish I'd. I wish I'd been there with you. We would have done it. <laughs> yeah. I know. Were you singing along in Mystic? Uh, uh, oh yeah, I'm always singing along. <laughs> Uh, well, before the break, uh, Jack, we were talking about your your news stories and and how you're you are you know um, as part of your your writer's um, creed, I guess or so is mm-hmm. like you're looking like you're you're always looking for that that first line, but then also something new, like the multiple perspectives and um, what are some other things that you were discovering in these new stories um, that are still you, like they've still got the Mm -hmm. Jack Driscoll stamp on them, um, Mm -hmm. thankfully. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for the question. It's a a good one. Uh, I mean, clearly a writer's work evolves over a career, um, over over a lifetime. And when I was putting the stories together, that was pretty much what I wanted um, to do to provide an arc. Um, and yes, you're right, T, uh, it's my voice. And uh, I think a voice has a fingerprint. It's unmistakable. Yes. And, and uh, so the work is mine, and you'll see that. But, but ch- these are some of the changes, as you asked the question. Um, the first, the first um, my first response is this, that in the uh, early stories, the first uh, story collection, uh, Wanting Only to Be Heard, the, um, the thematic development throughout, and, and, and not that I was conscious of doing this, I mentioned earlier that I don't sit down to say I'm going to write a story about this. Um, I just I sit down and I start writing. But um, I found out what, my, what the thematic development of that book was by reading reviews of it. I had oh. no idea. <laughs> Okay. I had no idea what the themes were, and um, and it turned out to be um, the um, the relationship between fathers and sons, not necessarily the relationship between me and my father, but fathers and sons. And I am Irish, and James Joyce promised us Irish lads that at some point we would come to reconcile with our fathers. But I never did. Um, I've told this story before. My my dad worked um, uh, 364 days a year, 16 hours a day. Do the math and you think impossible. But in fact, that's what he did. And the reason being that he believed that given that we were the first, my generation was the first generation that was expected to go to college. And he mm-hmm. believed that he could leverage a better place in the world for his children if he could provide for them, which he did. And there were five of us which he uh, sent 
uh, who, who he who he uh, sent to college. Mm-hmm. But the da- but the downside of this, and by the way, um, this can only announce itself in one word and one word only, and that's love. A total renunciation, nothing for himself, everything for his children. The downside, and and I loved him for that. I do love him for that, and I also love him for having taught me how important a blue-collar, um, uh, a, a determined blue-collar, a fanatical blue-collar uh, work ethic is yes. to, the creation, to the creation of art. I always say talent is talent and is probably divvied, divvied out unequally. Um, but talent has to. Talent means nothing unless until it discovers its equivalent in a hardcore work ethic, and that's the thing I learned from my father. The downside, of course, was I didn't know him. I never knew him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was gone before we awoke, and he came back after we had gone to bed. And so, and 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 there were things, of course, in my my imagination was animated by the things I wanted to do with my father, and never did. So that was. Um, so it wasn't. Uh, and, and, and I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe a writer goes through an entire career um, with with writing to to one obsession or mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's that's just um, that's circumspect. But but in these new stories, and I have heard from people um, who have said kind things about them. Um, and thematically, since I'm talking about that, the th- thematic design, though again, I wasn't conscious of this uh, now, and perhaps because I'm getting older, is uh, the nature of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as the writer Jim Harrison says, time rushes towards me, it has no breaks. And um, and I understand that. And in the new stories, uh, people have been uh, writing, uh, just got, in fact, I just got a beautiful letter just a couple of days ago saying that they're, uh, they're, 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 they're more tender um, there's a, a tenderness about them that um, wasn't uh, nearly as um, present or prevalent uh, in the earlier work. So it's glad to hear that. So those are some of the those are some of the different some of the evolution that uh, I'm conscious of having occurred already. And when and so Jack, when when you hear that, is it something where you feel like you can then recognize it from hearing someone a reader's perspective saying there is more tenderness you do you feel it mm. to be true too then you can have that window into it yeah it's why i was so pleased to hear it from um well from a number of people um and i know they had gotten together because i don't think they know one another <laughs> right. uh, but but and 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 I don't know that it's easy for a reader to, uh, you know, uh, sort of come forward and, and, and claim this. Um, I wish I had the, that letter I'm referencing now because I would read a paragraph to you. Uh, no, it made me feel great. I thought, okay, you know, good for me, good for you, Jackie boy. Um, you know, you're, get, you're getting softer in your old age. How about, uh, how about them apples, you know? <laughs> <laughs> more maybe just adding more more dimensions although as soon as you said that i wanted to say but i feel like there's like tenderness in for example the story that we you know wanting only to be heard that we started mm-hmm. talking about at the beginning of the yeah. the hour mm-hmm. with, between the father and son 
Um, yeah. Not not really among the friends. Like that feels more of like a competition or so. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. in, but but um, but with the father and right. and how the son knows he will protect mm-hmm. him, even though there's not much that's said. But there's like. Um, there's anyway there's a physicality to it which mm-hmm. is present as um yeah, yeah, yeah i won't he's, he's, keep, keep trying to make connections across the space of the book <laughs> the, um yeah the 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 um, no and thank you for saying that too for making that observation because uh, that was one of the things i wanted to make clear and again this is after the fact after reading and i'm thinking okay does that does the love between the father and the son, the love for the father, the father shows uh, to the son there, and, and it is. I know it is. Yes, yes. And and that's a hardworking father in that story as well. Yeah, and most of my characters are. You know, there uh, many of them are uh, sort of, um, they're, they're, they what I call dare-to-hope characters, <laughs> against sometimes seemingly impossible odds. They do nonetheless... Um, and uh, prowlers, for example. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I hope um, I hope there's a sense of humor. Uh, wanting only to be heard is a tough story. It, it's it's uh, all my stories are love stories. I don't I I, I can't believe that I've ever written one that isn't. Mm-hmm. And um, um, but I don't. Uh, I mean I. Th- I, I I sense that humor is a natural relaxant. It allows the reader to step uh, more easily into the fray. And, yeah, Prowlers is a, um, well, it's a dramatic story, too. And, um, but, um, but I hope it's ameliorated some by a sense of humor in the story as well. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, you, those are very likable characters um, that we get Thanks. to meet <laughs> and, um, and to... Uh, imagine on horseback and um so let's return to michigan because mm-hmm. this is a this is a place um a state where you you lived a big chunk of time and you were um and and a lot of the time was dedicated to the interlochen um writing program i would imagine mm-hmm. if, if you're the founder yeah. mm-hmm. what What's it been like for you with with being the the founder and teaching writing um, to young people for the for those years? Yeah, for those years, I taught. Um, I I arrived when I was still in my twenties. I was still a kid. <laughs> I knew pretty. I knew pretty much nothing. Um, one of the great quandaries in my life, and and this is not hyperbolic, is. Um, why they hired me I, I still it still makes no sense to me at all i knew i knew um i knew almost nothing and um and i had one a slim book out but they did fly me out for an interview and apparently liked me and so um i stayed for uh for all that time um i learned to teach this is interlocking for people who don't know it is a is a is a Coeducational um, board, uh, boarding school for the arts, and it's represented by 60, 65 different um, countries. So you can imagine the kinds of conversations um, um, that uh, to, to have um, people from everywhere, 
from um, countries all around the world, uh, you know, assembled in common interest to, th to talk about this thing the rest of the world could care less about, much of the rest of the world could care less about. It made for for um, for just wonderful. I learned so much from my students. Uh, the musicians taught me how to listen better. The painters how to how to see better, uh, etc. And um, so I can say unequivocally that it is, it is, it stands as the single greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Uh, it's made everything else possible. Um, so, yeah. Um, and what I can say now, having taught long enough, is that, well, I think it's um, Borges who said, um, um, I'm prouder of the books I've read than the uh, 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 I've, I'm prouder of the books I've read than the, than the books I've written, and I amend it this way. I'm prouder of the books my students have written than the books I've written. And um, nothing nothing buoys my spirits more than to get a book in the mail uh. or from, from one of my students, or even better, to um, provide a jacket blurb for my students. And... Um, oh, yes. My wife and I um, are, are bibliophiles, and we have a private library, um, or did until I moved here, um, of about seven or eight thousand books. And I have, and, and two of those shelves now include books only by my students. You can only get onto those shelves if you're one of my students. <laughs> and some of my students even send postcards and say, "Here, put this, put this in. Save me." So, so in other words, save me a spot. Me, yeah, save, save me a spot. And and how beautiful! Um, they oftentimes they come through, and I can fill that spot um, with the books. And it's in all genres: poetry collections, short story collections, novels, memoirs, you name it. Wow, that's wonderful, so I, Jack. Yeah. Yeah, I have never. Um, I mean, I, I, I have been interviewed quite a bit, and um, one of the questions assumes, uh, or, or one of the attitudes assumes. Um, at least by the nature of the question, that these two are in some way oppositional. In other words, um, you, uh, writing, uh, teaching must take up way too much of your writing life. For me, they're inextricable. Um, they're they're just two parts of the same thing. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 It's uh, it's why I stayed. Uh, really, T. I, I I really thought this was. Um, I mean, wasn't the Midwest that territory you flew over on one of your on your way to one of the dream coasts okay. i mean you know or drop drove through at night i mean who would actually put down there and i don't know maybe i was carrying some of that bias with me um but uh you know i i, I thought it was on i thought it was a stopover on my way elsewhere probably back to the east coast where it's, it turns out i am now but not for half a century it's uh, i absolutely fell in love with the place it's where i wanted to be yeah, it get, it gets to you if you're you're not from here. I I can understand because I I also am not from here, but it definitely I feel fiercely proud of Michigan now um, as well. Where are you, where are you from? Fifty. Well, um, I I grew up uh, in in Florida. Uh, <laughs> good luck, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a transplant. Uh, yeah, 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 but via yeah. the West Coast, though. So that's why I could daydream about your Oregon coast. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, but, but, Jack, let's. Can we talk a little bit more about then how the setting of Michigan has um, it's informed the lives of your characters? Like, I can see how um, mm -hmm. some of the characters, like when we've we've talked about your father and. Um, 
and kind of where you're coming from um, and the work ethic and the mm-hmm. um, and in the stories, the setting here, Michigan is, you know, is is present. It's palpable, not to mention your awards, you know, the Michigan, <laughs> you know, like many Michigan awards, too. Mm-hmm. So the landscape is here and you yep. you, you chose to stay it's yeah, a, I did. So it's your imaginative landscape now, too, Jack, or? Yes. Yeah, and, you know, uh, time will tell how that's going to affect the writing now, having moved um, away. And, yeah, I've been here for six months, and the reason I'm here is because um, I'm close to my family. And uh, But the level of disorientation is still intense. Um, mm. It's not that. I'm thinking about moving back, though it wouldn't surprise me if that were to happen. But yes, um, the, uh, as I said earlier, uh, place is character. And there's a writer by the name of Michael O'Rourke um, who points out that there was a time when place and person were exactly the same thing. Um, Jesus of Nazareth, Sappho of Lesbos, um, my... Uh, uh, middle namesake, St. Francis of Assisi, the 15th century contemplative St. Teresa of Avila, Robin of Nottingham, I mean, on and on. There was no difference between the two. Place informs everything. Um, play, uh, and some, and I, I would even argue that place is character. And, um, and to try and set my stories elsewhere, which would be inane, but to try and do that, would mean that they ceased, that stories ceased to be. To be. Um, they couldn't exist anywhere else. There's only one story that's set elsewhere, and that's in uh, Maine, but those are northern Michigan characters who uh, go to Maine one summer for a vacation. So, yeah, everything is, is, um, is informed by that particular landscape, and I was talking earlier about the severity yes. of the, um, and the chronic the malady of chronic inertia that sets in when you are locked into um, a place like that, uh, whereby, and it, it's, it's northern and it's rural and it's intense. So, yes, it, it, take that away. My stories don't exist. Because you also had to learn it and feel it as, yes. as the, the writer you were becoming. I did, and um, I, I had no really antis- uh, expectations, um, given that I thought this was, as I said, a stopover. Um, but then um, uh, I loved it. <laughs> it first of all, it, first of all, I, uh, I was born in, in Western Massachusetts, and I was thinking, uh, I was t- thinking um, Detroit. Uh, you know, southern. I was thinking southern Michigan and, and industrial and flatlands. And uh, 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 Interlochen is about five hours, five, six hours north of there. So it's, an, it's another country, and it wasn't so like, it wasn't so unlike um, western Massachusetts. So it was very beautiful, net number one. I found it to be very beautiful with lots of waterways. Yes. And I met a lot of the local folk there who were happy to lead me in. And in fact, wanting only to be heard is dedicated to my father, but also to um, a fellow named um, Noel Schroeder, who uh, is, uh, a, was a local kid and um, uh, worked at his father's uh, shell station. And 
and he showed me in uh and you know it's, there was a certain there's a certain wisdom and and um native intelligence that is associated with people who actually grown up uh who grew up there have grown up there and that seemed miraculous to me so i really did fall in love with every uh, facet of it and i still love it as much and i'll be going back there in i think it's at the end of um july for uh, a kind of celebration reading oh that's wonderful jack yeah so looking forward to it so coming returning to interlochen for a yeah. celebration reading. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Tom Wolfe who said, um, you know, you leave, you can never go home again. But I like better what Bob Dylan said. Um, uh, you, you, uh, you, uh, you can always go. You, you can always come back, but you can't come back all the way. And um, <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah, you can come back, and maybe you're changed by your uh, by um, those interludes of absence. Um, but you you can come back nonetheless. So that's what I'm doing. I'm thinking of it as a kind of homecoming. Oh, well, that's well. I'm so I'm so glad. I'm so very glad, Jack. Thank you so much for for talking with me today um, about your your twenty stories, um, new and selected, um, with Pushcart Press. Um, I'm I'm glad that we were kind of ending on Michigan, <laughs> kind of a, yeah, we a, a love letter to, to Michigan in a way. And, and, yeah. and you know, what? and then we'll see, right? Cause you said just a couple minutes ago, we'll see what happens with the stories, the poems or, or is, are you working on a novel now? What, what are you, what, what's happening now for you with writing? Mm, well, okay. I'm going to give it away here to you. All right. Uh, I said, you know, I like to break through to that next place where I haven't yet arrived. Um, I've written four collections of poems, four collections of short stories, four novels. And so um, the next project, which I've just started, uh, is a memoir. Wonderful. Okay. Well, well, Jack Driscoll, we will stay tuned. <laughs> All right. Uh, T, thanks so much for your great conversation, your great questions, and your close read of, of my work. Uh, it matters enormously. Well, well so thank, thank you so much. Thank you, Jack. Thank you. Thank you for the time and for writing these stories. Um, And yeah, we really loved our talk today. Um, Today on Living Writers, Jack Driscoll joined us via phone um, from Mystic, Connecticut. He'll be returning in July to Interlochen, a homecoming. Uh, The book on the table with us, 20 Stories by Jack Driscoll, new and selected, out with Pushcart Press. I'm T. Hetzel. We've had Frank behind the glass for this one. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, everyone out there for listening. Until next time. Take him away. Take him away, Lord. Take away these chains from me. My heart is broken because my spirit's not free. Lord, take away these chains from me. Some birds' feathers are too bright to be caged I know I'm not that colorful, but a bird just the same Open up your gate now, let me put down my load So I can feel at ease and go back to my home Take them away, take them away, Lord Take away these chains from me My heart is broken cause my spirit's not free Lord, take away these chains from me 
Sun beating down, my legs can't seem to stand. There's a boss man at a turn roll with a rifle in his hand. I got nine children, nothing in the pan. My wife, she died hungry while I was plowing land. Take them away, take them away, love. Take away these chains from me. My heart is broken cause my spirit's not free. Lord, take away these chains from me. Can't see when I go to work, can't see when I get off. How do you expect a man? You are tuned in to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. You're listening to Drum Break. I'm your host, DJ Free Jazz. And I got a nice 30 minutes of intelligent drum and bass coming up for you. Stay tuned. 